0: i'm joseph i'm nick and this is fish jelly yep how are you i'm good how are you okay uh we continue to receive a lot of nice messages from peoples of all sorts
1: okay yeah that's wonderful
0: lovely yeah which is really nice we don't get the chance to respond to all of them we don't no no well, there's just a lot, like like comments and DMs and oh, like sure. emails, mm-hmm. but um, for the most part, we do see them. I do realize that a lot of messages, like I have Instagram set up, so if I don't follow a person, then their message is hidden. So I would have to go look at it, mm-hmm. which I don't do regularly because mm-hmm. a lot of those messages are like not nice or uh, spam but uh, eventually, I do get to them. Sometimes I don't respond because it's been so long. <laughs> but or also, like sometimes I'm not quite sure how to respond to a comment. Uh huh. Like Nikki Whalen. Oh yeah, I haven't even <laughs> I haven't even looked at her comment. You need to. I <laughs> want. I want to know what it says. Tell me. Tell me. For people who don't know, we've reviewed three films with I the think actress more Nikki, than that now. But uh, I've commented on her hair. In every one of them so she messaged me about it <laughs> i don't know what it says okay. the preview says like haha you're funny and then that's i just took it as that, like yeah <laughs> thanks girl oh <laughs> but anyway um yeah it's really nice when we get nice messages yeah <laughs> Of, cu-
1: of course, obviously, of course. I mean, I'm used to getting, you know, on other platforms, cranky messages from people. And, you know, uh, if people want to spar, go ahead. They usually end up blocking me if they want to get into it with me. But um, yeah, I don't mind the good and the bad. I mean, it's all part of life. Oh, My favorite serial is life
0: and I live it. Oh, God. it's has got to be real reference. We saw Jackie beat last Sunday. Yes. She's very funny. She is and a very good singer. And uh, the drag queens Sherry Vine and Alaska Thunderfog were there as well. Alaska did a really funny. Alaska and Sherry opened the show, Mm -hmm. which is a celebration of Jackie Beats, as you said, 60th birthday. So they did like an opening number sort of celebrating her, which, of course, was funny and mean but that Alaska was sort of like the halftime show, and Mm -hmm. she did this long montage of songs, basically making fun of Jackie Beat. Like, all she does is parody songs. It can't be that hard. So then she did her own. It was a tribute. Which I thought was funny. Mm -hmm. It was good. But yeah, Jackie Beat's very... uh, Her wordplay is really impressive. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. It's nice seeing her, like, in a setting... Because we went to the Catalina Jazz Club. Which I've never been in before,
1: based on the advertisements of other upcoming uh,
0: uh, uh, artists. I don't know that I'll be back, but. Um, People seem to like when we talk about, uh, like, give food and restaurant critiques. So I might as well throw that in right now. What did you think of the Catalina Jazz Club's uh, dining options? Oh, I didn't need that. No the tickets were
1: um well i didn't buy the tickets
0: we didn't buy them so i don't know how much they were uh but it wasn't free to get in and then there's an expectation that we spend a certain amount of money on our like bill Mm -hmm. in addition to buying tickets to a show which to me is a big turnoff. yeah well also the the tipping device that which is like gay church service at the end i don't need that either but well yeah i mean I'm happy to pay for a ticket and sit my ass down and watch a show. Mm -hmm. But this rigmarole of like, well, doors open at six and you're guaranteed seating at this time. And if you don't show up at this time, it's like, what did I pay a ticket? Like, what did I buy this ticket for? Right. We did end up getting a nice booth. Yes. A John Wilkes booth. Slightly obstructed view, but not the worst.
1: Uh, Yeah, there was a pillar.
0: there, Uh, There was. But the menu. I don't know about that menu.
1: Wait, we shared a burger. Be- we did. And we did that because our friend ordered a bunch of
0: appetizers. Well, we had also had a late lunch, I believe. Uh-huh. So I think neither of us was super hungry, but we ordered this goat cheese pesto burger. Oh yeah, that shit was that it felt like it had been uh heated up about an hour well, ago. Well, I asked for it medium well. Mm-hmm. And it like you said, uh tasted like it had been prepared a couple hours prior, <laughs> cooked well done and then they just threw it in the microwave Mm -hmm. it was tiny and then a little bit of fries on a plate that honestly looked like I mean I could have present like the cruise ship food yeah is presented better at the buffet than the way they threw this plate at us um and it wasn't cheap no uh And then we had some calamari. Calamari, some nachos. Those nachos (laughs) nachos, nachos weren't shit. Some meatballs. I didn't taste those. Uh, We did get a couple of bottles of wine that we shared just between the two of us. So I was feeling a little buzzed. The venue's nice, though. Uh... But those prices, I mean, like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't need to go back. But, they had uh, a catfish plate that was just like I saw someone ordered. It was just a piece of sautéed catfish with some little mashed potatoes and some what looked like frozen mixed vegetables that were microwave. <laughs> and the plate looked wet, like the the vegetables, like they scooped them out of whatever, mm-hmm. still full of water. The food also took a very long time. Thirty one dollars for that. Yeah. The food took for oh,
1: I think I made a comment about the spaghetti because there's some thirty one dollar spaghetti.
0: And I'm like, that has to be exceptional for me to. It make. wasn't spaghetti and meatballs, though. It was, it was just... just spaghetti. Thirty one dollars mm-hmm. for spaghetti. No, no, no. You know, the food bank gives the elderly free pasta mm-hmm. and free tomato. sauce. They do. Or, <laughs> you know, I've been to Venice several times now,
1: uh, even at the nicer areas that are not just tourist traps. The pasta is cheap and it's homemade there for the most part. I just don't. I mean, I say
0: this every time, but. And I mean, Venice, Italy, not right. Venice Beach. Yeah, not Venice, California. I don't understand the purpose of making a place not like it's a turnoff. So now my impression of the Catalina Jazz Club is that the service is slow, the food is subpar. Mm-hmm. I mean, mediocre at best, overpriced. So then the idea of like going there is like, eh. That's most places to me now, though. I don't know. So that was disappointing. But Jackie Beat was funny. Mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about the podcast Scamanda. It was recommended to me, and I listened to it, and I listened to all the bonus episodes. It was pretty riveting. Um, I think the production is horrible. I you caught listened to- snatches of it, and it made me want to turn it off. Um, it's so repetitive. Mm -hmm. And these people, most of the people who are talking seem like they don't have a lot of information, and that's why they're just repeating the same thing over and over again. But for people who don't know, it's about this woman named Amanda Riley, who basically faked having cancer uh, to get people to give her stuff. And she was convicted by the IRS for wire fraud. And she's the first person to receive um, a a conviction like that uh, based on faking cancer. So it's significant for that. And she was convicted of, uh, I think, uh, coercing people to give her what was recorded was like $105,000, but that doesn't include cash, which she received a lot of, we're told, and like non-financial gifts because she would receive trips, show tickets, dinners, all that. So it's pretty despicable to do something like that for obvious reasons. I think the biggest reason is like, you know, people like her, what? make people like me not believe anyone. Mm -hmm. So I'm very cynical. I don't ever give money because I just assume everyone's lying. Everyone has a sob story. You walk into the street right now and you tell anyone like, I have a thousand dollars for someone who needs it. Just tell me your story. Every single asshole on the street will tell you a story. Mm -hmm. Like not everyone can be down and out. Not everyone can be like in need more than the next. It's like, no one cares about the fact that there are people who actually need help, like everyone will ask for it yeah i think that's behaviors like what she demonstrated don't help this cause but the thing that really struck me was all of the people who were willing to get on record to talk about her and you have these people like you know back back in 2017 i gave her 50 dollars, and i just think they should throw the book at her and I always believe because my mom told me this when I was a kid and I still follow this, you should do things because you want to mm-hmm. that way, if it doesn't end up being what you thought, at least I feel right in my own spirit that.
1: Which is about the closest you can get to a sense of altruism th- 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 that there is, because I, I don't quite believe that altruism as, as the essence of it is real anyway. I think it's about how at, at, Mo at best, like how it makes you feel inside. So you donated this money. This ended up being a sham. Well, you know, did, did they Bernie made off your ass or is it just you made a you didn't trust your instincts and gave money to this greedy bitch?
0: I understand being frustrated. That, you know, if someone asked me for $100 because they need to, you know, their their car insurance is going to policy will be canceled. If they don't pay it. And then I see they used it to buy a pair of shoes. Yeah, I'd be upset. Like, why did I give you this money if you used it for shoes and not your car insurance? But I also feel like if I do give someone $100 to help them with a bill, I'm doing it because I want to. Mm -hmm. And once I do that, I let it go. If I offer someone anything, I do it because I feel like I want to. And and that was enough for me. I don't need to keep dibs and keep track. I just you would never catch me on someone's podcast. Making it seem like someone destroyed my spirit over fifty dollars. Well, I'm not saying fifty. That's a lot of money to people. That's a lot of money to me too. But well, yeah, it's not inconsequential. So, so it. it's not about the dollar amount. It's just like so. Then you did this because you because part of her scam, which she's not. She's a very smart woman. It would seem she targeted um, a like religious groups. So like she was part of a mega church. Mm-hmm. She she was the principal of like a, a Catholic or Christian school. And these people's sort of blind willingness to help anyone in need really felt like they it was a performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, well, like they're all just performing.
1: Church as itself is a function that's a performative function. That's... And to me,
0: it's like well, this: is what your dumbass gets for doing something that you're just doing it because you like the the vibe I got is these people thought that they were doing something beyond good, but like like look how good we are for helping her. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know I, what I,
1: they say? It's easier for a camel. Hmm?
0: <laughs> I don't know. I'm not articulating it well, but it, it really felt icky listening to everyone talk. And then the bonus episode. So for anyone who is familiar and hasn't listened to the bonus episodes, I would recommend it because uh, the host has like some of her former. She used to be an RA at a college, like in the dorms, and two of her former colleagues, one of whom was like her manager talked about her and they just go like well you know there was definitely something in her eyes that didn't feel right and blah 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 and it's like okay in
1: retrospect you could say that about anybody about anything and then they
0: had like one of her former co like a teacher at the school she was a principal at and that woman talking about well the first time i met her husband i knew something wasn't right with him and i stayed away from her and it's like girl okay i mean okay i work with a lot of people who i wouldn't deal with beyond beyond having like, to take the yeah. zoom call with right like if i find out five years from now they killed someone it's like well i didn't really know the bitch i don't you know i hated her hair that doesn't make her a serial killer like but
1: but it does make her dead to me
0: i don't know listening to a, a scamanda made me think that it's really important to do things i feel that i feel good about I mean, so that i can move forward in peace and not think like well What you know? I gave her a ride. You know, people get so funky over shit. Well,
1: that's what you know, and that that kind of bullshit is exactly why, from a very young age, I was like, I'm not going to ask anybody for shit. I'm going to do all by myself. Fuck y'all. I'm not beholden to you because I need help. Which you know has created a different problem for me in my life.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But 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 it's because of that. Like I'm not. No, no. But you know, even like going. I don't know. I don't want to go on a rants. Also, it sounds like a Marvel villain we started Drag Race
1: Australia season three you know how people think of LA and how people act in LA these goddamn drag queens in Australia that's that's the attitude you're
0: getting a full we've yeah we've already talked about this that the Australian queens are just so nasty to one another and then I was told that that's how drag queens are in Australia like that's the sense of humor you can have it so that's fine like if you're all just nasty to each other but straight out the gate episode one like the first five minutes they're just vile to one another
1: well but not and none of them are smart and most of them are beautiful enough to back up that kind of attitude in my mind so there was only one
0: hollywood uh hollywood star who's stunning yes uh and she won the first episode and uh she's she's not a very nice lady but she was funny and she backed up And she's new to drag. I didn't think her attitude was that
1: egregious. I think she she's she's, not the worst. She spoke like somebody that's young and beautiful and confident and confident. And I don't mind. There's a difference between being nasty and being confident. But Um, still, I just
0: I it. I don't I, I don't know what I would have to get paid or what the outcome would need to be for me to get on TV and just seem difficult and nasty. That, who's that
1: dumb little the, – that the 25-year-old that ended up in the bottom three, that white one, that uh, – Oh, with the – Ashley the, something.
0: The, the, the very sort of uh, – the, the face of shaped like a brick. But, all, yeah.
1: all talking about how intimidated everybody is, isn't – like, why don't
0: you just worry about yourself? Yeah. I mean, I am difficult, but I – like, not to be nasty – I would it would just really bother me if
1: oh and that one the the (laughs) ammo oh my god God. (laughs) i mean i'll keep
0: watching this
1: is why we don't smoke weed everyday people
0: (laughs) we also started the uh max series last call when a serial killer stalked queer new york so Mm -hmm. we finished the first three episodes episode four comes out tonight Mm -hmm. so i'm anxious to watch it um it's It's really hard to watch, and there's nothing new within it. I mean, these are stories we've to me, it feels a lot like watching um, Dahmer Dahmer, like not just the Netflix series, but like the like various documentaries Mm -hmm. that have been made about the story and just how the police just weren't interested in helping this queer community or they were uncomfortable confronting it. So this killer relied on that Jeffrey Dahmer relied on the fact that law enforcement were uncomfortable
1: that they didn't give a shit about black queer combined with
0: not caring about this uh, community of black queer people. So last call echoes that. um, Well, yeah, I I think what's really interesting
1: to me is you see this, because this person who they've just, at the end of episode three, they've located his fingerprints and found uh, identified, identified him. him in Maine. Um, there was the the first two victims that we're talking about in the series are these two closeted older white men and how they were treated in the press versus the uh, Puerto Rican street hustler.
0: I mean, right? because they call the, you know the the two white, the older white men, they're like married businessman, socialite. and then they get to the Puerto Rican it's like crackhead prostitute. like you
1: know? <laughs> but I believe the director of the series is the great nephew of that
0: Oh, the bisexual guy, the sex work. Yeah, I think that that's him that who's on camera. Um, it's moving. It's, it's powerful. You know, what's unique about this one in comparison to maybe like a Dahmer one is that we have a lot of people who were involved during that period in the early mm nineties in that community trying to figure out what happened, knew the victims. Well, the, I
1: mean, this is New York, not Wisconsin. Yeah. So there is a level of activism here that yes. is unparalleled to other parts of the country. So it's really
0: interesting to hear firsthand, like, the 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 sort of vibe of... Well, the ripple effect of trauma is significant, you know. So, so it is moving. I would highly recommend it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's pretty upsetting. Mm-hmm. And even to hear... The documentarians, I, I I wonder how they got clearance on some of the interviews because it's clear that some of the law enforcement agents, um, weren't, maybe they didn't understand what the angle of the documentary is because we do hear one ask, like, why do you keep asking about like the gay stuff? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, cause we're clearly trying to show that your department didn't do it's due diligence because you don't give a shit about these people. Yeah. Because you get these people saying that being gay isn't relevant. And it's like, well, of course it is. Or even the family of the Puerto Rican gentleman who was killed. I mean, clearly. And, and the, I guess the documentarian who is related to these people, like having them on there, you know, it's clear that they were uncomfortable and unaccepting of their gay family member.
1: Still speaking of him in euphemistic terms. Or, Or not
0: even acknowledging that he was gay. Yep. So it's, it's very interesting but hard to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on, you wanted to talk about Venice.
1: Oh yeah, so the Venice Film Festival has unveiled its program, which is you know after uh, Guadagnino's Challengers had to pull out uh, per MGM, and I think was shoved in early 2024 uh, for release. Everybody was thinking that oh we're we're gonna end up getting a bunch of Italian films. <laughs> in the competition and oh my god this is a very exciting lineup
0: well tell us about
1: it um i'll just mention very briefly uh a, a couple two that are or two or three that i'm excited about But ava duvernay uh her film origin is competing she's the first there have been uh black women well alice diop at least that i can think of off the top of my head that competed last year but uh duvernay would pe- technically be the first african-american woman um to compete for the Golden Lion. Uh, So I am. uh, hopefully will have time to read the book that's based on before uh, the festival, but that is very exciting to me. Uh, Bertram Bonello's The Beast with Léa Seydoux and George McKay, which is based on a Henry James novella, but like very loosely. Uh, There was another film at Berlin this year that I I quite liked that was also based on the same novella, The Beast in the Jungle by Patrick Chiha. Uh, A a surprise edition, I don't think anybody knew, uh, Ryosuke Hamaguchi of uh, Drive My Car was working on a new film but he was and it his evil does not exist is going to be in the competition um but okay so i am i am pumped for the out of competition selection because oh my god they have woody allen and roman polanski (laughs) and um you know I, I, I do believe in separating an artist's life from their art, and I don't agree with things Polanski did, but I'm excited to see this movie starring Fanny Ardant, and the Woody Allen film, also excited to see that. Uh, William Friedkin the, has a new film, his first narrative since, I think, Killer Joe in 2011, Harmony Korine, Richard Linklater, and... Liliana Cavani who has not had a new film in decades Uh, and I'll bring her up again later based on what I'm reading right now but uh, yeah and then in the horizon sidebar you have uh, that that Macedonian filmmaker who did you won't be alone. That witch movie that you and I both really liked. Oh, yeah. And I liked his uh, film he did right after that, Of an Age, the gay film. Uh, he has a new film in Horizons called Housekeeping for Beginners. Uh, Japanese artist, filmmaker Shinya Tsukamoto, Sukamoto's House of Fire. Uh, and then in the other sidebar, uh, Venice Days. They are premiering a new Isabelle Huppert film, Sidonie oh. in Japan. Uh, so, of course, I'm very excited for that. And that is the directorial debut of a director named Elise Girard. Very nice.
0: Let's take a quick break. films released we didn't cover
1: the beasts uh this was at Cannes 2021 I think it's uh it was a out of a special screening uh Rodrigo Sor- Sorgoyan. and I actually saw this on the plane going somewhere this past year so I didn't even it, it's decent enough I think for a watch but I based on everything you know we have a lot going on so I didn't feel like rewatching after having just seen it but it stars Marina Foix and Denis Minochet, As a French couple, they're expatriates living in Spain, uh, farmers, and the locals do not get along with them. And he has a temper, the husband, and he ends up getting his ass murdered uh, by the locals. And then there's, you know, you can kind of, I think you can kind of predict where that goes from there. But uh, it's interesting. Next, Bobby Wine, the People's President. I don't know if his name is pronounced Bobby or Bobby. Oh, uh, excuse me. It's about the Ugandan opposition leader, musical artist, and activist, uh, Bobby Wine, who has opposed the 35-year regime of Yauri Uh Yeah, Uganda's not a good place to be gay. Uh, so that, that, that's what I know about Uganda. I think, uh-huh. what was that? I saw a documentary called Call Me Kuchu. I, I'm pretty, I should actually god that was over a decade ago but uh anyway i we didn't you passed on this so i didn't push it but it's directed by moses boyo and christopher sharp sons of summer Ugh, this didn't appeal to me and (laughs) it's directed by yeah of course Uh, it's directed by clive fleury uh and it's a surfing drama and it stars isabel lucas who i can't stand oh uh she's that boring looking australian white woman you actually did her hair you don't even remember doing her hair but you did it
0: oh let me look her up
1: she looks crazy she looks dead behind the eyes and everything i've seen her in i I thought she had gone away Damn. uh I, I just she's blah you might as well cut her out of your movie anyway uh that- oh god
0: <laughs> um let me see Oh, you know, she looks like someone. Yeah. A bland looking white lady. Oh, God. I'm not saying that. Uh, The Unknown
1: Country. Uh, This, you know, in a perfect world, uh, directed by Marissa Maltz. I want to say it was at South by Southwest, but uh, it it stars Lily Gladstone, who I really like, particularly for Kelly Reichert's 2016 film, Certain Women. If you haven't seen Certain Women, highly recommended, uh, but Lily Gladstone is a standout in that. And uh, she's also, of course, in the upcoming Scorsese film, Killers of the Flower Moon, which mm-hmm. I don't think that film uh, gave her the range she needed. I think Leonardo and Robert De Niro eclipsed everybody in that movie. Anyway, uh, this this is something I'm interested in catching up on.
0: War Pony.
1: I did like this film. It won the camera door at Cannes. It was in, in certain regard this past May. Uh, it's the directorial debut of Gina Gamel and Riley Keough uh you know riley Keo. that's lisa marie's daughter yeah yes. who i think uh picks very interesting projects i i, I find her she's in zola uh, yeah i find her very impressive considering the privilege she's come from because she she just she does things that are unexpected but anyway uh these two directed a movie um about a pair it's a I think it's two characters of uh, from the Oglala nation and it's very kind of told in a, a gritty docu hybrid way about uh, their juxtaposed experiences and it's kind of an upsetting film. Uh, you weren't interested in watching it, so we didn't, but this is a film
0: I would recommend catching up on. Mm. Projects of interest. There may be a galaxy quest series. Well, so the news that I saw,
1: which is, technically unsubstantiated because i didn't see any um uh, outlets i trust uh saying this news but that there's there have been year for years they've been trying to make a galaxy quest series because even uh paul sheer was working on that for a while some paul john Mm sheer oh uh but now it's rumored that sigourney is definitely going to be involved with the series. Oh. Again, I didn't see a major news outlet carry that. So who knows? I don't need her to do that. Uh, I'm fine with new, weird, interesting projects she could do, but whatever. <laughs> Movies watched for fun "An officer and a spy. Speaking of Polanski, uh, I, cause I finished reading that uh, book on the Dreyfus affair. Which I referenced last week. The Richard Dreyfus Affair? No, no Richard Dreyfus did star in a movie about the Dreyfus Affair, which oh. I watched. Oh don't act surprised that we talked about it on last week's podcast because I watched Prisoner of Honor directed by Ken Russell.
0: Is that the one with the autistic child?
1: No. Oh. Yeah, Richard Dreyfus is about to come up again. <laughs> Something else we're gonna drag it. No, I'm not him sure forward. what you're talking
0: about then. Well, I brought it up well, you apparently weren't paying attention, uh, but I, I talked about it briefly. Before. I can't produce this chicken shit gig and pay attention to you at the same time. <laughs> Well, I mean,
1: and, and there you go. Uh, I
0: get like 10% of what you say generally. Okay, well, but you talk enough that 10% is still more than I get from most people. <laughs> so you're still a wealth of information.
1: <sighs> anyway, <laughs> when well, I read that book and it, because I wanted uh, some uh, additional perspective on uh, this case before watching the Polanski film which was never released in this country, but I have a copy of, uh, An Officer and a Spy. It won the second place prize at uh, Venice in 2019 behind Joker, which won the, the golden line that year. Anyway, uh, yes, this is definitely much better than the Ken Russell TV movie where everybody's speaking English uh, with Jean Dujardin uh, and uh, Louis Guerrel. I have to say, I thought it was, I think it was a very well done. It's a very well done film. Silent Fall. Ew, this is the Richard Dreyfuss film that I. Oh, that I watched. Yeah, the, so this is directed by, oh. uh, <laughs> you know, a very notable Australian filmmaker, uh, <laughs> Bruce Beresford. <laughs> Whose early films like, you know, Breaker Morant and uh, Mr. Johnson are both Criterion Collection films. I've only seen Breaker. Definitely worth a watch. Uh, he's best known for a film that I really don't like called Driving Miss Daisy uh, from 1989. Oh. But so Wait, the director of Silent Fall directed Driving Miss Daisy. Yes. So after that, he does this really Dumb thriller. And I remember my dad hating this movie. So, I, but I'd never personally watched it. It's the directorial or it's the debut of Liv Tyler uh, and Linda Hamilton had nothing to do but have some dry hair. And Richard Dreyfus star in this movie about this autistic kid whose parents are brutally slaughtered and he's found holding the knife. But the evidence would show that he couldn't have been killed them. So they bring in this therapist, this retired therapist, because He bungled something a year ago and is traumatized about it. So Richard Dreyfus comes in to communicate with this autistic kid. Oh my God. It is, it is terrible. It is, it's actually embarrassing to sit through.
0: Yeah. I I thought it was embarrassing. The one thing that really took my breath away is this autistic child, uh, is not mute, but he won't communicate in his own voice. He will only like, he's what's the bird that a minor bird, a minor bird. Which everyone I think, I always assumed parrots talk, but I guess that's not a parrot. Anyway, right? I Well, I'm there it is a bird, but- uh, <laughs> No, but when <laughs> people think of talking birds, don't we think parrots talk?
1: Yeah, and parrots can be taught to talk, but like that- But I, minor I, birds I, are better at it. I think in, in nature, minor birds do that.
0: Whatever, the bird that like repeats words it hears. This little autistic boy will, at first we're told he repeats like things he watches on TV but only in front of people he trusts. So his sister, Liv Tyler. But then his therapist, Richard Dreyfus, he begins to trust him. And then when this boy is like repeating things, it's clearly not his voice. He's like lip syncing. Mm-hmm. Oh, it looked terrible. It looked terrible. It sounds terrible. Look- oh, uh, I don't know how this little boy was directed to behave, but he has this look on his face. <laughs> it's just, I, yeah. It, i would be curious to know what other people think it's laughably bad
1: and it and it competed in berlin
0: Mm. moving on fear of a black hat okay i really liked this this feels like the sort of like uh the smart man's version of CB4. Yeah, I was going to say that, yeah. uh, which I, I kind of want to rewatch because I've only seen
1: that once and that's directed by Tamara Davis. But this feels much I mean, smarter.
0: CB4 is an effective satire and I do enjoy it. It also seems to have more of a budget and clearly you have a big star in CB4, Chris Rock. Oh, yeah, yeah. Among other people. But this one, yeah, feels a little more... Uh,
1: they even do... I, I think you you might have uh, gone to bed by the time this... It has a really nice um, moment where it's acknowledging how Martha Wash. Was Uh-oh. not uh, giving credit, giving credit because it, it's it features a singer like Martha Wash who is going toe to toe with this this Asian, I think a Japanese woman that's in the music videos claiming to sound like this black lady. <laughs> Shout out to Martha Wash. Uh, but yes, I really like this mockumentary about uh, a group called NWH, <laughs> which is, of course is a, a a nod to NWA and uh, Rusty Kundief, who directed who directed one of your. A, a, a personal favorite of yours sprung sprung and a personal favorite of mine tales from the hood. But uh, this is the best use of himself also on screen. I think he has, I, I think he's just as good as somebody like Mario van Peebles. I think he's really funny. Um, the characters there's one of their uh, <laughs> members is tasty taste, uh, but they are being interviewed by the documentarian interviewing them in this uh, is played by Casey lemons, uh, who I also thought was kind of funny and cute yeah, I think that's if you haven't seen that, it's definitely worth a watch.
0: Yes. Style Wars.
1: So this is the first I'm, uh, and I'll be bringing this up because uh, I'm writing this piece on hip hop turning 50. But um, this was technically technically the first film a documentary that introduced hip hop to the public uh, directed by Tony Silver. It's only an hour and nine minutes. But of course, uh, hip hop uh, encompassed a lot more than just music. It's graffiti artists, it's dancers uh, break dancing. And, you know, early films that are technically hip hop oriented tend to focus more on dancing and graffiti artists. And this film is all about explaining what bombing is, which is, you know, all these artists uh, painting the subway cars, much to the chagrin of law enforcement, for instance. But this was the only way that, that this was like the burgeoning local celebrity going on. And I think the documentary is interesting. But what's funny is you get this black mama who's, the 7 I don't know, she's like 17, who is so upset and disappointed that her son is bombing these subway cars. <laughs>
0: Did I see some of this?
1: You saw some because you came in and you're like, you were asking me what I was watching, but it just seems so
0: pressed. Oh God! One night you put on Eight Mile. Mm-hmm. I have never seen oh, Eight God. Mile. I
1: haven't seen it since it came out. And
0: I, I watched a little bit of what you were watching, and I didn't need to finish it.
1: <laughs> it's not a bad film. Um,
0: no, I. Well, go ahead. Say what you were going to say.
1: I, I'm not the biggest. At, well, okay, there's two Eminem songs that I like and one of them he did with D12, but I yeah, I don't like him as a screen presence or anything, but it's an interesting film exercise. I do like Kim Basinger and she's reuniting with uh, Curtis Hansen, who had also directed her in LA Confidential. And it, it I think what's interesting if we're talking about the evolution of hip hop in film and I think the notion, like the biopic as a, a subgenre is a legitimizing thing. Right. So mm-hmm. you have this white rapper who gets the first major biopic about a hip hop artist and that kind of there was a, a slow trickle of others, obviously, that followed after that because of the success of this film. But I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I never envisioned having to watch it again. Uh It's nice to see some people like Anthony Mackie, uh who I wouldn't have known who he was at the time that I saw this as a as a kid uh, I thought was kind of impressive in it. It's, you know, it's sad seeing Brittany Murphy now. Uh, Michael Shannon is the one that's sleeping with Kim Basinger. (laughs) So there it looking back, it's interesting people I wouldn't have been aware of then who I'm, you know, very
0: aware of now. Yeah. Uh, we went to a friend's house, uh, for a uh, sloppy joe party which is not a, euf- a euphemism for anything <laughs> thank we, god we really did have sloppy joe sandwiches <laughs> and a potato bar a which, baked potato bar. yeah he, he had a uh a big potato bar which is fantastic but i have and the sloppy joes he made with some really nice uh what kind of buns were those do you those make? are hawaiian bread oh was that hawaiian mm-hmm. bread that he uh but he had toasted them, to- buttered in, them in burger but uh the sloppy joe uh mix he made was very good and i thought it was uh, really good on top of just a plain baked potato mm-hmm.
1: which seems kind of healthy i could have used some fried mushrooms with that but that's you know i don't like mushrooms i know
0: you don't but that's I probably do. my least favorite food item not every mushroom is equal but uh oh yeah fried mushrooms like, Oh, a anyhow during the sloppy joe party we uh watched the hot chick and i don't think i'd ever seen the hot chick well we
1: i also hadn't seen this since i was the year it came out but i i own it and uh during the pandemic, I think somebody that was living with us at the time Oh or no, we had a friend come over and we watched it. Um and we you, did. you you must have gone a bit.
0: Oh. But yeah. I, I'd seen it in the past couple of years. Um It's obviously like a super stupid movie and story. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's actually pretty funny. <laughs> um it is very funny. I do think uh Yeah. I, I really can't even I don't have any thoughts because it's like it's so stupid. It's hard to critique, and then it's two thousand three one, so obviously there are a lot of like cringy moments. But I think considering the time, they are funny. It's very queer positive. It is because one of the main characters, her little brother, appears to, if not be gay, be a little cross dresser. Mm -hmm. But um, the way it's handled seems sweet, and and then there's a a Korean
1: black girl who is also having trouble navigating racial identity yeah navigating her identity it's it's about embracing yourself yeah
0: i think the overall message is fine i didn't care for the rachel mcadams character i think
1: she did a good job
0: she does but i think just as a character it's like "Mm."
1: yeah uh and obviously she was too old to probably play that even and that was before mean girls uh but i think anna ferris that's a really underrated anna ferris performance well, she kind of does that same, like,
0: breathy, shocked thing with her mouth. Like, but her comedic timing is gold. It is. I, I feel like she's the same in every comedy sure. she's in, but uh, she's funny, so yeah. it works. And Rob Schneider is is doing the max Rob this. Schneider. The, <laughs> he's pretending to be Mexican. Because the people don't know, the premise is that he, some, like, ancient African, like, hoodoo causes him to switch bodies with Rachel McAdams. A so high now, school. Team. So now he's this high school bitchy-ass girl and he chooses like as her like so it's her in his body she's dressing like her so she's wearing tight low cut jeans and like Mm midriffs it just looks crazy there's a scene where they give him a makeover to look like a dude and they do the backstreet boy look and they go through all the backstreet boys and they end up settling on I believe Howie maybe which is just what Rob Schneider looks like that fucking five head with the curly afro but Um, that's really funny because he does not look better (laughs) with what they end up with. No. (laughs) Anyway, I, he's really cute in it. It's a guilt. I'd say that's a guilty pleasure movie. Would I watch it again? Yeah. Maybe like for something silly in the background. It's something stupid to
1: have in the background. People want to keep running their mouths. It made me want to rewatch Mrs. Doubtfire because I haven't seen that in years and years and years. Or Tootsie, I could always put on.
0: You watched Swallowed.
1: Yeah, in anticipation. Tomorrow, we're seeing the latest uh, Carter Smith
0: film, The Passenger. Are we seeing something today? We are. We're seeing Iris Sachs Passages. Oh, Passenger and Passages? hmm Oh, God.
1: Yeah, I went, I've already seen the Sachs film, which I think you'll enjoy. But uh, I, you had reviewed Swallowed on your own, I think, while I was in Berlin this year. You did? Yeah. You oh. did? yeah yeah i did uh so i thought i should watch this before i see the new one and i really like the first hour and then mark patton shows up and i like i like a good camp queen but
0: he's not he's not the one for me (laughs) um next well, you watched Breakin' and Breakin' 2.
1: I probably shouldn't say much because I'm also doing a separate piece on Breakin'.
0: Oh, maybe, uh, yeah, don't say much. Um, but
1: I actually enjoyed I enjoyed Breakin' a lot more than I thought I would because it's Joel Silberg and I've seen Rappin' with Mario Van Peebles, which is egregiously terrible. And then I've seen, we watched a film Joel Silberg did called Catch the Heat. <laughs> Mm. With Rod Steiger, which is really bad, so my expectations were pretty low. It's definitely a cult camp classic, um, and it's it's stupid as I'll get out. But the three leads are charming in their way.
0: I uh, yeah, Breaking was better than I thought it would be, and definitely better than Breaking Two. Breaking Two could be funny. I mean, I think it would be. I would go like if a cute little indie theater around here had a screening.
1: I would go. Breaking true electric boogaloo. <laughs>
0: yeah, it was cute. It, it's cute. It's, I, uh, you know, they take
1: ideas and run them into the ground, of course. It, it blows my mind that these both came out in
0: 1984. But Lastly, last night, I I don't know why we did that. Well, because we, we had watched... We would watched Kiss the Girls recently. No, but what did we watch? Oh, we had finished uh, the last episode of last call last call and then i guess you were in like a 90s thriller mood mm-hmm. and we had seen kiss the girl so you put on along came a spider what is technically 2001 but yeah so <laughs> this movie
1: i had seen it. i remember not liking it when the year it came out i would give it one out of five yeah i did too it's
0: bad. oh i should add that to my rock, my letterbox yeah it's oh <sighs> it's it's like trying to be smart i feel yeah but not which mm-hmm. all these like suspense thrillers i mean that's the goal right but this one just ugh, i don't even have the energy to get into it it's so stupid um
1: but yeah the james patterson was all the rage around then and technically this book is set before the events of kiss the girls i think morgan freeman you know who played this character twice and then would be inherited by tyler perry of all people but uh he looks better in this because they're allowing him to have some gray. I remember thinking in on a rewatch of kiss the girls, they were too dark, vigorous Brown. Um, Monica Potter, I've never... Talking about
0: bland white ladies, I do not like Monica Potter. I really didn't like her. I mean, she just had nothing to do except stand there. And then the big... You know, she's involved in the big twist of the story. And that just felt so like, okay, who cares?
1: I remember... Because the three I always think of with her are Saw, the first one, and... I didn't even... Okay. And Patch Adams. And she looks like they she looks like you if you morph Julia roberts and faith hill together and i couldn't be more bored i'm just bored the only
0: interesting part was the bad guy and the little and him kidnapping the girl michael wincott Mm -hmm. that that was interesting um her little friend anton yelkin yeah he's cute but he didn't have anything to do yeah ugh, but
1: that was directed by lee tamahori who's uh, from new zealand's maori i believe it you know I still haven't seen I I have it because they they did a 4k Blu-ray I think at some point in the past decade but Once Were Warriors was his debut and that that still is kind of the gold standard of his filmography because he came to Hollywood and did a lot of a lot of dreck um but I, I just I because we watched this I looked him up and he's got a couple things in the can you know I remember a really weird scandal with him
0: oh, involving
1: a prostitute I think right. sorry a sex worker but uh I, I, that, the director
0: of A Long Came a Spider. Yeah, Lee Tamahori.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, there was some, and I think that derailed him for a little bit. Uh, you've seen his film Next with uh,
0: Nicolas Cage and Jessica Biel and Uma Thurman. Anyway. In January 2006, Tamahori was arrested on Santa Monica Boulevard when, according to Los Angeles police, he entered an undercover policeman's car while wearing a woman's dress and offered to perform a sex act oh. in exchange for money. Oh, okay. He pleaded no contest. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, see, I remember that, sorry sorry to this
1: man, that, that news story sits in the back of my head somewhere and it just came out.
0: Well, I mean, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong.
1: I mean, you know, we all,
0: we all. Nothing wrong with a little cross-dressing. You know, we all float down here. A little, uh, a little sloppy Joe in the police car, you know. (laughs) There are worse things you could do. I mean, Hugh Grant. Did it Eddie Eddie, did. Mer- Eddie and Eddie well I don't know. Eddie was just giving a friend a ride. Yeah, sure He was giving a woman in need a ride. Okay, we have a few minutes. Uh, unfortunately, there are entries in the obituary section. Randy Meisner died? Yeah, uh, basis for the Eagles. Okay. Uh, do you know- so when I was You know, my mom told me she learned how to speak English partially from watching um, or listening to um, the Eagles. Um, and the Beatles, really and Hotel California, she I remember her saying was a song that helped her learn English.
1: I love that's a good song yeah i have i I feel um conflicted because when I was in an undergrad and I worked at Sam's Club for the Goddamn Walton Company and was miserable every day. Uh, they and I was a <laughs> People, they, they make these children, these customer service managers. What are you all doing? I didn't know what I was doing. Anyway, they had, you know, because they sold, you know, huge TVs there. And they had a DVD release of um, the Eagles in concert. So, and this would have been probably like 2005, five, six, somewhere in there, whenever that was released. And do you know that, that apparently that DVD sold like hotcakes to the Sam's Club members? So they insisted on playing it all day, every day for months and months and months
0: that feels like in the 40 year old virgin when in that best buy type store Mm -hmm. are are they playing something on repeat all the time
1: i you know and when the manager would go upstairs i would go turn that shit down and she'd come down and get pissed she's like this stuff needs to be loud (laughs) oh my god i hate i got so fucking
0: tired of the eagles when i was managing the the hair studios um those people were so tired of me because all i would ever do is play um uh, the Janet, like the Janet Jackson station mm-hmm. on Pandora or Spotify.
1: Yeah, but that's the station. You get more than one artist.
0: You do, but, and, and they knew like when I would walk in, they would change the station cause they would try to play like other stuff. Like, and now, not while I'm here, we not gonna not rep my girl whenever I walk in the room, <laughs> if I can help it. <laughs> um, And then, of course, Sinead O'Connor died.
1: Yeah i i had a I had a poem I found that I think was interesting. I'll save for the end. But yes, that's very sad. I have seen her in concert. I think in two thousand eight in Minneapolis, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Very uh, talented and outspoken, and uh, I don't know, uh, troubled also. But yeah, that that saddened me to hear about her. She was only fifty six.
0: Well, Was she a lot of personal like health? mental physical issues and
1: she did but the world certainly didn't help her with that
0: well i think you know becoming famous and then not knowing how to play the game right i mean there's like a machine and when you go against it then things just get harder and i'm sure like
1: well you know she uh, because she died there have been a lot of quotes and retweets and memes about an interview she gave in 2021 about how people said told her that she'd fucked up her career by tearing up that picture of the Pope on SNL. And she was like, I didn't fuck up my career. I fucked up the career of the people handling me because it meant they couldn't capitalize off of me. And it just meant that I would have to, and I'm paraphrasing freely here, but that she would have to spend her life performing live, which she did. Um, You know, it's also hard on your body to (laughs) spend decades performing live. But uh, I don't know. I, I think that what she did was also commendable.
0: I, I don't know why she did it. And uh, I mean, I remember it. I, I, I think that from a marketing standpoint, it was a really stupid decision to make. And I think people will shoot off their nose to spite their face. Uh, then I'm very much that type, and You're like yeah, that. And to me, it doesn't make sense to me. I feel like you'd be more effective if you learn how to like infiltrate and spread from with, you know, infect from within very subtly. So it, it seems like a very hot headed thing to do, but I'm, I don't it is dislike but it, her for it, that. It and also
1: I, highlighted a problem within the Catholic Church about sex abuse. Yeah, and I'm you know? not
0: I have no connection to the Catholic Church to want to defend it. And I don't think that the Pope didn't deserve to be like desecrated, but I just it my my thought is more about her as a person who clearly felt very passionately about something, and I think she could have probably spread her message more effectively.
1: I think she was ahead of her time because that kind of uh <clears throat> Action wouldn't have the same response now because if if you think about their late eighties and early nineties early and NWA and Madonna and the shit that they had to put up with from authorities uh regarding censorship like those are trailblazers they and Sinead O'Connor's in there too. Paved the way for us to have at least a closer semblance to fucking free speech well
0: unfortunately she didn't have a strong enough uh sort of uh, foundation in her career to withstand that stunt. I think right? that's the like that's you key. have one hit and then it's like and you're not even from this country versus you know NWA was more niche right because it's like subversive that this like black rap group Cause obviously it's like white kids buying the music. So they were, so the more controversial they get, the more the white kids want it. Mm-hmm. And then within their own community, they're not a problem. So they're right. going to be fine. And they all, you know, for the most part, that genre of music flourished. And then Madonna was already so popular that it just made her even like like a lot of things when you're told you're not supposed to want well yeah. then people want it but shane o'connor's like she's not giving people anything they want she's just doing something like she didn't have anything to give that people wanted right like, sure she didn't have this huge catalog of music that it, people were dancing to or mm-hmm. partying to or so I, I mean i just feel bad that she's but but i don't know her i was reading about her and I, russell crow posted this really long thing about her and a, he told us recounted a story a recent story of an encounter he had with her that was really touching but yeah i that's my impression of her that she had a lot of issues and probably was not well treated after definitely not no she kind of peaked but we need to take another break another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. The secret movie today was my choice. I chose the 1990 American superhero film, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh-huh. Because we watched the new animated Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem mm-hmm. last week. Yep. And our review comes up tomorrow, Monday, um, which we both really liked. Yes. So I thought, let's revisit this and then, you know, the the podcast title will be Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So I'm sure this will get more clicks than uh, <laughs> an average episode. But um, I'm sad that we watched it. I even wrote down that. Um, I'm glad we watched this after Mutant Mayhem. I'm glad I didn't watch this before the new one or I wouldn't have agreed to see it. Ooh, Because this shit is.
1: Well, OK, so I have fa- I
0: do have memories
1: sort of in six so my my mom was pregnant, I think, with my sister, um, and I remember going to the Iron Gate Mall in Hibbing, Minnesota, and she took me because I liked Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and she took me to this movie, and it's but I haven't seen it since that time, and it's weird rewatching it because there are images that <sighs> there were there were stretches of the film that were coming back to me. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I watched it in 1990. I remember being taken with a group of other boys to the theater. And that was a very uncomfortable situation because I never fit in. So I remember kind of like if there were like seven or eight of us, it was like me by myself kind of away from the group. And whatever theater we went to, there was like an arcade. Mm -hmm. So I remember kind of like being off on my own, Mm -hmm. like waiting for the movie to start because I didn't have money to play the arcade games. So I'm just like standing there. I also remember going with that same group to watch Gleaming the Cube. Oh, God, with Christian Slater. But anyway, this movie, the story, four teenage mutant ninja turtles emerge from the shadows to protect New York City from a gang of criminal ninjas. Obviously, this is, like, dumb as hell. It's based on a comic book series. It was a cartoon that, of course, I watched as a kid. Same. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, man, this thing just suffers from... Like it's clearly for you know a certain age group, and I don't think that it gives i don't think the humor it doesn't really give anything i don't uh, it's just like martial arts fighting with like dumb costumes on
1: I don't think the choreography is good, I think the cinematography is the cinematography
0: is inconsistent at best. Like it, but,
1: you know, this was technically an independent film because it's credited as being the most profitable independent film until Blair Witch Project
0: at the end of the decade. Uh, <laughs> Here, let me go through my notes. So the Criminal Ninjas are run by Shredder. And Shredder, well, God, it feels so stupid even trying to describe the origin of the story. But there is a rat named Splinter who has adopted these four Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And he found them when he was like a rat rat, not Mm -hmm. like a mutant human rat. Mm -hmm. So he found these baby turtles and they were like roaming, like they were in submerged in some like green ooze. So he took them, the rat was also exposed to the ooze, took them back to his home in the sewer. And realized that they were growing into like humans, like, like human mutant animals. Mm-hmm. So they're really smart and sophisticated. And but they big. Look like rats and turtles and they're big. With very well-defined legs and arms. And Splinter used to have um, like a mentor who was like a martial artist. So Splinter knows like martial arts. Yeah. And his mentor had an arch rival. And the the martial arts part of his life was before the ooze. And the rival to his mentor is shredder so that's the history so anyway now 15 years later in new because the rivalry took place in japan i think i thought so yeah but now they're in new york city and shredder runs this like child labor ninja he's brain organization
1: he's brainwashed all these little children from various backgrounds uh in new york to uh,
0: steal to steal things Mm -hmm. and learn ninja fighting i guess it's almost like
1: he's a mixture of uh oh somebody from Mortal Kombat and fagin
0: from Oliver Twist there's a lot of product placement in this movie Lots Burger of- King, Domino's, Pepsi. I was reading about that because while Domino's is featured in the film for people who don't know the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles love pizza when the film was released there was an enormous like multi-million dollar marketing campaign with Pizza Hut for the release of this film even though it's dominoes in the movie weird okay so i didn't think it was funny i don't like how it looks um i didn't like the lead female played by judith Hogue. i didn't either who i thought looked like if you mix mckenzie davis and you said jay moore <laughs> once
1: i once i decided that i thought she looked like jay moore i could not unsee jay moore
0: oh, i hated her screen presence i hated the way that character was written and then come to find out she's not in the subsequent.
1: There's two sequels, two sequels after this because um, of her nasty
0: attitude. Apparently, I yeah,
1: she she complained too much. So they didn't invite her back,
0: uh,
1: <sighs> but I, re- you know, the, the things I remember about seeing April O'Neil on TV in that yellow coat when she's in the subway and is getting attacked. Um, <laughs> it It's just
0: I, I, it was the weirdest sensation watching those scenes. I don't know. OK, the new movie coming out this week, the cartoon, I loved it, and I think I mean, there's just so much about it I love, but the four turtles in the car, the new movie are so likable yeah. and cute and everything out of their mouth is funny and it, it's timely, but I feel like it won't feel dated in 20 years. This shit just feels like, what are you even, it's so lame. It's just like they took whatever popular words were being used in 1989 and just threw them in this movie. But these turtles are not that likable. There's a reference to moonlighting. There is like, do, I mean, I guess that wasn't a kid show. I don't know. I mean, I was, a I was, a, I watched Moonlighting as a little gay boy. But
1: well, I was, I was six So I didn't have a, I didn't know what,
0: uh, Moonlighting was at that age. But these turtles are cheap because we see the one calling Domino's talking about 30 minutes or you get $3 off and like, By cheap, you mean frugal? No, I think they're cheap. <laughs> I'm frugal oh okay well I wouldn't set someone up just to get a three dollar discount sure like aren't these supposed to be like heroes well they're not even in the new cartoon they don't they're they're not heroes immediately Mm -hmm. they sort of evolve into that but I don't know it was just they were just not likable to me at all
1: well Corey Feldman voices with Donus hello.
0: <laughs> okay, you keep talking about what you remember from this movie. The thing I remembered immediately, it hit me like a like a flood of hormones is uh <laughs> I remember thinking Elias Koteas was the most handsome man I had. Really? And it is Grace sweatpants season in this movie and it looks like he's wearing a jock strap because every scene he's wearing a white rib tank top that mm-hmm. i'm not supposed to call a wife beater right and gray sweatpants but then his bulge looks like the kind of bulge you get from a jock strap like mm-hmm. it's all bunched up in that tight triangle mm-hmm. and then his sweats are always caught up in his butt cheeks mm-hmm. so it makes it seem like he has bare ass under there and i don't think i knew what that was at 12 but looking at it as an adult i'm like why'd they style him like that <laughs> why'd they do that i mean thank you but <laughs> i I like Elias Cote- Coteus.
1: Um, there's a Sigourney connection with him too. Uh, and a crash, a Cronenberg crash. I always uh, invariably think of him. But I didn't like him and didn't need him in this movie.
0: Well, I don't know that I needed any of them. but No, but yeah, he seems... That, that was the memory of a 12-year-old going through puberty and thinking... Oh, sure. And like realizing I'm gay and thinking, like, oh my God, that is... like that is That's... That's why I'd be gay for is uh, whatever that character's name is Casey Jones. Casey Jones, but and the, the six, o- <laughs> the other thing I distinctly recall from this movie from nineteen ninety are the visuals from when Splinter is telling the origin story. Oh yeah, because it looks like
1: <laughs> he's it's a rat in a cage.
0: It's like a rat puppet in a cage doing Just- like ha Yeah, judo chop like despite of his rage <laughs> uh and then the little baby turtles looking like little puppets oh, i thought they looked like michael sarah they're they're cute but uh. it looks so cheap and crazy and then they make it look like kind of fuzzy or uh, grainy mm-hmm. like oh that's what the past looks like they like
1: give me like i don't know if it was trying for a dark crystal vibe but uh oh it does
0: kind of have that vibe
1: it's just it's just not good and then kevin clash is doing the voice of splinter who's doing asian voice
0: uh, for people who don't know kevin clash is the gay black man who voiced elmo yeah so i think it's funny that he's voicing splinter splinter who's supposed to be japanese i mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. I, mean I guess rats don't have ethnicity maybe they have species or breeds but yeah I don't know. he's talking with like what sounds like a mr miyagi type he, he definitely is <laughs> I mean, and as a kid, you wouldn't know, like, you know. Uh, I have bigger fish to fry with this movie, so I'm not going to go in on Kevin Clash playing Splinter, but it, once you realize that it's funny to me. <laughs> uh, okay. You said something that made me laugh. Uh, wouldn't these turtles smell like shit all the time? Because they live in the sewer, and they're just stomping around, and it's like... there's The first time before they go to April
1: O'Neill's apartment, they're we see a shot in the sewer where there's a lot of water and it's wet. And then she's got these little pumps on. It's like those, you're,
0: I was like, girl, your shoes would smell like shit. And then I'm I'm like, why they would smell like poop? But why didn't someone in the, this screenplay is terrible. Someone needed to comment on how these turtles smell because the turtles are also supposed to be refined. Like they don't eat they even make a joke like oh i like to put like bugs and shit on my pizza and Mm -hmm. then they're kidding Mm -hmm. and then at one point one of the pizzas is like moldy and they they throw it away Mm -hmm. so they're supposed to be kind of refined but then you smell you know you smell like shit. there's there's no way we don't see them bathing or doing any sort of grooming like no not at all (laughs) and then splinter looks raggedy as hell splinter looks yeah he looks looks like he's about to die so at one point one of the ninja turtles Raphael, gets beat up and he's near death and it looks so stupid there isn't a bruise on his ass it's like what is it all internal bleeding and then they have to move to like the countryside so very god elias cote like the godfather april O'Neil, yeah and then the four turtles move like far away to like reset and Raphael, they put his ass in a bathtub all crooked and crazy i know he had back problems after that but
1: and then they're trying to make uh april o'neill and casey jones have a romance
0: which was like i mean you can see it from a mile away but it also makes no sense no um it's at the point where they move to the countryside where april starts keeping a journal well she's been fired and then she starts she's drawing pictures of the turtles and we're getting narration of her journal entries that was terrible terrible the the turtles are now four again (laughs) (laughs) there's a moment when Elias Coteus is massaging Judith Hogue Mm -hmm. and she's not wearing a bra and you can see her little areola bumps. And (laughs) I I thought that was a bit much for a kid's movie, but he, the turtles like walk in on them, Mm -hmm. which was also weird because they all have a crush on April, Mm -hmm. but then they, they don't recognize that this man is trying to be sexual with her. And then she offers them like some massage oil or something and then the one grabs turtle wax mm-hmm. as like these are the this is the caliber of jokes in this movie the, it's so dumb you really had a problem with how the red and the purple turtle looked i didn't like their hair you were like they are so ugly oh. <laughs> <I didn't laughs> like know. the other ones were cute <laughs> they were cute but i do agree with you the head shape of the the red and the purple were different and they did look kind of like not nice they look like the goombas from uh, the super mario brothers movie with bob hoskins oh my god so i guess there's like they, there's like a supernatural component to it because they can communicate with the spirit of splinter so they do so at like a campfire mm-hmm. and he's basically telling them goodbye because i'm dying that that was whatever so there's a joke made that i thought was in really poor taste i know it's 1990 but on the way back from the countryside, they have the four turtles in the back of the truck, like in the truck, like mm-hmm. the bed of the truck, and then the two humans are in the front. And when they get out of the truck, one of the turtles says, "Now I know what it's like to travel without a green card." Uh-huh. So to me, that meant oh, like crossing the border yep. illegally. I didn't need that. Then <laughs> more offensive stuff to me was Elias's character makes a couple of comments like about not being gay, or because mm-hmm. at one point the turtles accuse him of being claustrophobic and he thinks that means homosexual. Mm-hmm. That's not funny. Nope. Not at all. Because really it would be homophobic, which you seem to be. Mm-hmm. So you don't even like, I don't think that joke works. Then he also, um, cause at a point, Elias Cotes's character gets into a fight and he's like, I look like I just called Mike Tyson a sissy. Like, yep. okay. Whatever. Uh... Um, the montage from the old timey times when Splinter's saying how his master, like how he learned martial arts and then his master was killed by Shredder and then he scratches Shredder's face. And that's why Splinter's ear is cut off because Shredder sliced him before he could get away. Shredder you said something else that made me laugh about his little gay ass costume it's all oh. rhinestone up oh i hated that costume
1: oh my god that i could get that from party city right now
0: i could see that being on drag race if it were a little more cinched like it just looks so... well he's got these joan crawford shoulders like yeah.
1: my god and then when he takes off his little mask it's like that those are the scratches you could have a little plastic surgery you'd be just fine you're in new well, York. They're,
0: well they're not that bad that like you will never show your face no you could have that i, mean, patch- I guess you're a ninja but whatever you can have that patched up real quick um the film ends with shredder being crushed in a dump truck like michael myers in halloween but isn't ends, he in or... two and three i'm assuming i didn't i never saw two and three I, I know people i listen to a couple of film podcasts and one of them always complains about how critics try to rationalize like stupid stories i'm not trying to do that i don't expect this to be like rational or logical it's not about rationalizing a story. it's not funny it's, i mean if you're going to be like ridiculous well, then that then needs to be funny you need
1: to be funny and it's i don't or think smart. It, it's too it's not too much to ask to obey the own
0: rules of the universe you create this was just the i mean the writing is just bad i don't you know the look of the film watching it now it does feel nostalgic and i don't mind that and but i just think the casting and the dialogue Mm-hmm. Really um, led this movie astray. It was directed by Steve
1: Barron, who would also direct another favorite from my childhood, which was Coneheads.
0: Well, what would you give this movie? One. I thought it was it was terrible. I would give it one out of five. It, it, it was pretty hard to sit through all the cowabunga. I mean, and there's not even that much of it, is, and all their little jokes and mannerisms. It's like whoever thought this was funny needs. Like to be recalibrated. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Or they didn't have anyone there to pu- like get someone to punch the shit up. I don't. Uh,
1: and Sam Rockwell plays uh, a character credited as Head Thug.
0: That's right.
1: And this is after Clown House. Oh. Oh. Remember? He's one of the boys in the underwear in Clown House. Yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> Victor Salvas.
0: We're not supposed to talk about that. <laughs> oh my
1: God. Um, well, we need to talk about it, Kevin.
0: Um, well, uh, I think that's all I have. I would highly, highly recommend people check out the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem um, animated movie. It's so funny, so sweet. Um, but that's it, uh, the, the this week is busy because we have to watch all kinds of stuff. Today we're watching Passenger. Passages. Passages. Tomorrow is The Passenger. Tomorrow's The Passenger. Then I you're seeing Problemista, I'm seeing Meg Two. We're both seeing Meg Two. It lives inside, whatever that is. That's coming out in September, so we're seeing an early
1: thing of that. But yeah. And then we there there's that John Hamm movie, Corner Office.
0: Um there till death do us part. That's a little too much. I I might have to recalibrate some things. That sounds like too much. Well, I only we only scheduled what you agreed upon, so well, then other things happen and can't be left alone um but uh you want to read a poem well
1: i was i I finished uh, a room with a view which i haven't had time to watch the movie version of by james ivory yet this week maybe oh i don't know when but um Now I'm reading The Order of Time by Carlo Rovelli, an Italian theoretical physicist who uh, some describe as the new Stephen Hawking. And I'm reading it because uh, it's... The new classic, like Iggy Azalea. Yeah. Uh, Liliana Cavani adapted this book. That's her new film. And um, I'm confounded about how she's adapting this book, which is about um, the quantum the theory of quantum gravity in an attempt to understand and give meaning to the resulting extreme landscape of this timeless world. I will say I'm finding it much more fascinating than I thought. It's very accessible. Uh, Mr. Rovelli seems also kind of bitchy uh, in a way that I, I, I highly enjoy. And uh, like he has all these footnotes where he's defending himself ahead of time. Like if you thought you were going to criticize me for not thinking about this, think again. Oh, and um uh, <laughs> i would recommend having some wine maybe an edible and just letting your mind explore <laughs> these interesting uh theories about how there's no there's not really a now like I thought th- you were reading a quote oh i don't know. chris christopherson had written a song about sinead sister Sinead. oh
0: i thought i thought the quote you were reading was from the book
1: no oh i was talking about the book oh okay i don't know if you wanted me to read this it's a, basically a poem but it's well. you song. said you were yeah well just i thought it was touching
0: oh well please go ahead and
1: this is not in the style of chris christopherson this is in the style of poetry a hip-hop poet oh god jill scott um i'm singing this song for my sister sinead concerning the god-awful mess that she made when she told him her truth just as hard as she could her message profoundly was misunderstood there's humans entrusted with guarding our gold and humans in charge of the saving of souls and humans responded all over the world, condemning that bald headed brave little girl. And maybe she's crazy and maybe she ain't, but so is Picasso and so are the saints. And she's never midpartial partial to shackles or chains. She's too old for breaking and too young to tame. It's asking for trouble to stick out your neck in terms of a target, a big silhouette, but some candles flicker and some candles fade and some burn as true as my sister Sinead. And maybe she's crazy and maybe she ain't, but so was Picasso and so were the saints and she's never been partial to shackles or chains. She's too old for breaking and too young to tame.
0: Mm, that was a quality moment.
1: And I think that's a,
0: a lovely uh, defense of her. Yeah. All done. Yeah. Bye. <laughs>